Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. Anyway, last night I was shopping at, at uh, Target. You meet everybody at Target, don't you? I mean, it is the meeting place of the world. And I met this man there, that, and he looked at me and he says, don't I know you? And I looked at him, and he was vaguely familiar to me. And, uh, but I knew who he was, and, but I hadn't seen him in like almost 15 years. And so um, he, he came over, and he talked to me, he hugged me, and I knew, he had, I knew it was in church that we had known each other. And of course, you know, he began to tell me his story and, and that he was homeless and all the wives that he had had and all the things that had happened and all the struggles that he had been through. And, um, you know, we ended it and I prayed for him and, and he cried and he went on his way. And, um, and I thought, you know what? We all have struggles. Man, every one of us have struggles. Why do we have struggles? Because we live here. <laughs> we live here. But this is not our home. So remember that the next time you have a struggle. This is not our home. And this is not the end of, end of the story. You know, there was once a man who loved God. And um, he had a struggle of his own. He, he loved God and he just lived to please God. And then one day God told the man, I want you to go out. You see that boulder? I want you to push against it and uh, until I return. And so the man eagerly pushed and he pushed and strained against that rock that was much bigger than he was. And so faithfully every day this man went out and pushed against that rock. And, uh, and this went on for some time. And God came to visit him to check out his progress with the rock, only to find the man very disgruntled. And the man said to God, I have pushed against that rock for a long time, and I have not moved it one inch. I'm a failure. Why did you give me such a difficult task? An impossible task. And God replied, did I tell you to move the rock? No, I told you to push against the rock. And because you have faithfully and obediently pushed against the rock, you have made so much progress in many other ways. Just look at you, God says. Your muscles are firm and strong from pushing against the rock. Your mind is focused and determined because you were obedient to do what I asked you. And your spirit has developed. You've matured and you have overcome at all odds. Now that you've done this, you are ready and prepared for the task that you can now accomplish for me. So have you heard that phrase, we are in training for reigning? Man, it's been around for a long time. Well, something should cue or tell us that we are in some kind of basic training. You know, that's why they call it the disciplines, you know, the Christian faith. And God has a goal for us to reach. 
it's usually after we've pushed on that rock for a long time that they re that we realize that there's something more to this than just the rock. If only we had the ability to find out God's mind. What's he thinking, right? Why does he do what he does? What's he planning? How is he going to work things out? Who's he going to use to get things done? When is he going to do something? Where is God going to show up next? God is so far beyond our understanding and finding out. Isaiah 55, 9 says that for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We don't have to understand God. At times we will never understand what God is doing. But we are to be obedient. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, He is the capital R rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. As right as we think we are, God is always righter. His way is right. When we read scripture, we find out that he does what only he alone can do in his time, in his way, in his will for our good and for his glory. We can trust him with all of our questions and we can trust him with the answers and we can trust him with all of our situations and our conditions and their outcomes. And I believe that God has plans for us that if we knew beforehand what they were, we would be blown away just by the sheer magnitude. We would be saying like Moses and Joshua, I, it, I can't do that. Don't use me. Don't, don't ask me to do that, God. We would be so blown away by what he has planned for us to do for him. And we'd be saying, you've got to be kidding, God. Me? I'm the least of my family. And God says, hey, I never kid when it comes to my kids. Mm -hmm. One of God's plans for us is transformation, a radical change in our character, our, our whole being, our mindset, our worldview, our, our heaven view. And he is at work in all of those who call themselves believers. You've probably heard the 1963 song, You're the Devil in Disguise by Elvis. Well, Elvis has left the building a long time ago, right? But God is still at work in us, not only to be Jesus in disguise, we are Jesus to this world, right? But we are to God, the aroma of Christ, it says. We're to smell like him, look like him, think like him, act like him, pray like him, and die to ourselves just like him. And second, I believe that God is at work in developing in us a prevailing faith, a strong overcoming faith that goes the distance. And not just the distance, but to actually win the prize, the prize of a crown, the prize of a crown that we're going to throw at the feet of Jesus someday in honor of all that he has done for us. Faith is like a muscle. You, build, you can't see your muscle, but you know it's there. 
Faith is like a muscle. You build it up, you develop it so that it can be strong and go that distance. Now, if God asked you to go outside right now and run five miles, Faith could probably do it, but I couldn't do it. Kelly? No. Okay. Would you be able to? Well, not unless you practiced, built up your lung capacity, and developed those muscle groups that enabled you to run a great distance. Otherwise, you call the ambulance. <laughs> so turn your Bibles or your iPhones to Genesis 32. You know, this is, we're in the Old Testament. And Old Testament heroes were not perfect by any means. They were just like us. They just tried to please God, but many times falling short. So we're going to dig around in Jacob's life. Jacob, son of Isaac, Isaac, son of Abraham. And Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was, he's also mentioned in the uh, Bible's Hall of Faith, which is found in Hebrews 11. He made it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. How about that? The Bible records there are a few times in Jacob's life where he could have needed an ambulance. One time was when he cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright and blessing. It was supposed to go to the firstborn, always to the firstborn. They get a double portion. They get the, the future blessing from the father. Well, Esau, and because he was cheated out of it, Esau threatened to kill Jacob if he ever got his hands on him. And so mama took over. She separated the boys. <coughs> You've done that with your own kids, right? Okay, you do have to separate. I can't take any more of this fighting. Another time was when Jacob woke up after the wedding night, uh, shocked in cardiac arrest, to find out that it wasn't the bride that he'd worked for seven years for and then he had to work another seven years for the bride that he loved. Then there was that time where Jacob wrestled with God. And I'll read it to you. Jacob had sent his family across the Jordan River because he knew Esau was coming one way and he was sending his family another because he wanted to save them. And he was going to meet his brother for the first time in 20 years to make peace with him, just to see where what was going on. And, and so Jacob was saving his family. And so that night, Jacob came back across the, the Jordan River, and he camped out by himself on the other side. And said so that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. That's a, uh, a portion of the, of the uh, Jordan River. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. <coughs> and a man, capital M-A-N, wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. 
But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked, asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but you are now called Israel. Because you have struggled with God. And that's what Israel, the name Israel means, struggle with God or prevail against God or prevail with God. Overcome him. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? <clears throat> and then the man blessed him right there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And I believe that, that God said, you know, it's almost daybreak. And he was actually saving Jacob because no man had seen God's face and lived. And so before daybreak, before Jacob could see his, him face to face, okay, he wrestled with him face to face, but he didn't see because it was dark. And so I believe God was sparing him. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Hmm. A change happened that night. God was changing Jacob. It was a transformation that only God could do. We can see that there's a transformative experience happening in Jacob's life. God's goal is to reshape, rename, and reclaim this man, Jacob, and make it his own. God reshaped Jacob and made him stronger in spirit and character. And while wrestling in the dark, Jacob was given a permanent lip so that he would never forget who really won the battle. What a story he had to share with others. I, it brought back to mind um, before I do that, I'll just say God renamed Jacob. God's in, God's in the process of changing our names. You know, he, he changed Abraham to Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Simon to Peter, the rock, little rock. And now he changed Jacob to Israel. And the reason why he uh, changed it is because Jacob was a deceiver. That's what his name meant. It meant heel grabber. When Esau and Jacob were born and Esau was coming out, Jacob was grabbing onto his foot like, uh-uh, <laughs> I want to be first, not you. I want to drag him back and I want to be first. And so it means heel grabber, Jacob. And Israel, which now means one who prevails or struggles with God or prevails with God, whether it's Anyway, their names, whether it's Abraham, Sarai, Peter, or Israel, their names were symbols of how God has changed their character, their future, and their lives. Because now they're going to have to live up to that name. 
It took all night long wrestling with the Almighty God for Jacob to get the blessing he asked for. Remember, at the end of the fight, just bless me. Just bless me, God. If, I had, if he had given up or tapped out, things would have been different. But he, he fought through his fears, his doubts. Maybe his body got super tired, huh? His past... He fought through everything and hung on to God with all of his might until dawn. He proved himself to be an overcomer. And I can imagine that he was smiling when God was smiling when he wrestled with Jacob. He knew beforehand what the outcome would be. And it, this is the part where it brought to mind a time where I was uh, maybe, maybe 10. Anyway, I was a runner. I did not know at that time that my father was a runner. He was a uh, um, Anyway, he was known for how fast and the distances that he could run when he was a young boy. And so we had our five acres, and my dad and I started at the fence, and we were going to run as fast as we could at this certain line. And so we were running as fast as we could, my dad and I. I was just a little girl. My dad was a man, you know. And, um, and I was keeping up with him, and, uh, and he looked at me, and he was laughing at me. <laughs> And I finally got it, even though I kept up with him. He knew he could win. He knew he could outrun me. But he let me try. He let me try. And that really, and then that smile that he gave me, I still remember it. That, I mean, he knew he was going to win. Well, God knew he was going to win with Jacob. God knows everything. Okay. So as a result of Jacob's perseverance, God reclaimed him for his purposes. Not Jacob's purposes. Now he belonged to God. God had a plan in place for Jacob's future, and it did not include his previous behavior or his past deceptions or his past finagling. Jacob had to abandon who he was before who, so that he could become who God planned for him to become. Israel now had to set his sights on the sovereign God. Remember his will, his way, his time. Israel's reward was a blessing and a promise from God. And in Genesis 35, 11, it reads, and God said, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, Israel. And kings will come from your body. The land I, have, I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. So many times in the Bible you, you hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so let me read to you the covenant that God first gave to Abraham the father of many nations. As for me, this is my covenant with you, God said. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. 
the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien. I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. What a promise. And you know what's neat about God's covenants? He establishes them, and he keeps them. We just say, bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. I'm, I'm ready for something good in my life. But we have to remember, it's not us doing it. God is keeping the covenant with us. So when we wrestle with our faith, it has a transformative effect on us. And it changes us. It tests our faith. It proves us. And it improves us. Strong character develops when we struggle through tough conditions. God desires to reshape us. We're being made into the likeness of the one and only Son, Jesus Christ. We are sinners in opposition. We were sinners and we were in opposition to God. And yet Christ chose to bow down, humble himself, go as a lamb to slaughter, and die, shed his blood for us to save us and walk with us and give us his Holy Spirit and then lead us into eternity. And now I have a new name written down in glory, and it is mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. God renames all of his children, and he gives us a new identity. In Isaiah 43.1, he calls us his own. For this is what the Lord says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I had an aunt named Minnie. M-I-N-E-E, pretty close to mine. Anyway, they say that I'm just like her, right? <laughs> I never met the woman, but I'm also, I just think, I want to meet that woman. You know, I want to know what, how her face changed when she smiled or sad or, or when she met people, did her eyes twinkle? And I mean, was she gregarious? Was she... You know, what did she bring to the table? I want, but I'll never get to know. I just know that people remembered her and they say, I'm like her. And so when God says, you are mine, I always think he's calling me Minnie, mine. So God renames all of his children. He gives us a new identity. Galatians 4, 5 affirms how he sees you in me. He's renaming you because he loves you. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. We're not called a slave, but a son and a daughter. He calls me daughter. He calls you son, Randy. God has made you also an heir. I'm not poor. I'm rich now. Revelations 2, 17, I will also give him a white stone with a new name on it, known only to him who receives it. Isn't that exciting? He's going to plant a white stone in our hand, and it's going to have a new name written on it. And it is who we really are, how he sees us, how he knows us. It's like, I was just telling um, Kelly that 
I would have to say that the, the word that I see for her is fruitful. She is very fruitful and she has this big sunflower. And it made me think that each one of those little seeds, it's just one flower, that's Kelly. But the seeds on the flower that come off of it, that sunflower, is just grows multitudes when you plant those seeds. And so that's how I see Kelly. If anything else, I, I see God would say to you, you are my sunflower. You bear much fruit. We are blessed beyond belief that God loves us so much and he takes care of every detail and he sees us like we don't see ourselves. He knows us like we don't know ourselves. Now, I may look like Linda, <laughs> but Jesus calls me by other names. I've been called other names, right? <laughs> but he calls me by another name. And I can only hope to live up to that. Not a slave, but a bond servant. I serve out of freedom, not because I'm owned or beaten or punished or coerced or whatever. I am free to serve my king. So 1 Peter 2, 4, 4 through 2, 4 through 10 says that as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, me too, you too, like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Verse 10 says that once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And just as God reclaimed Jacob for his own purposes, he also chooses me and you for his good purposes. Philippians 2.13 says that for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You know, without God, we wouldn't even think about things that are spiritual or beneficial or, yeah, we might be, some of us might be good people, but that does not uh, have any eternal effect. It's only according to God's good purpose that has that eternal effect on this world. We're also reclaimed by God. We have been redeemed, bought back from sin and death by the blood of the Lamb. Jeremiah 50, 34 tells us that our Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. He will vigorously defend his people's cause so that he will bring them to a rest, peace, a surrender. Lay back and join us up. His people cannot thrive spiritually on their own. You and I cannot thrive spiritually without the Holy Spirit. That's why he gave him to us, right? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift from a loving God, 
And so God is bigger, he's better, and he's stronger than we will ever be. Our job is to develop an obedient, transformative, and prevailing faith in our Lord. Our requirement is to surrender ourselves to God and hang on to him with all of our might, trusting that we are in the center of his will. Randy Alcorn, the author of the book called Heaven, says, God is grooming us for heaven. He's watching us to see how we demonstrate our faithfulness. He does that through his apprenticeship program. Remember basic training? One that prepares us for heaven. Christ is not simply preparing a place for us. He is preparing us for that place. We are told in Revelations 24 through 6 that we, the overcoming saints, will rule and reign with Jesus someday. And 1 John 5, 4 says, everyone born of God, Everyone born of God, everyone born of God overcomes this world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It is our prevailing, persistent, determined, Obedient faith that overcomes this world and ushers us into our heavenly world. Where God says, to the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. It must be some kind of delicious, right? If heaven has to hide it from everybody. He who overcomes will be dressed in white and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. But I will acknowledge his name before God and the angels. To the one who overcomes, he will inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. To the one who overcomes and continues in my work, I will give authority over the nations, and I will also give him the morning star. Do you know who the morning star is? The bright and morning star is Jesus you will have Jesus face to face. You will not die. You will live with him throughout eternity. Every believer has stuff in their lives that they have to deal with. Some rock or pebble in the way where you can't get traction. Some of that stuff can wear your faith pretty thin, huh? Like the man pushing against the rock or like Jacob's wrestling all night with God. For Paul's running with perseverance to win the race, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And hopefully we have learned that we are to obey God implicitly. Don't run away, as the song goes. Don't turn back. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. For even though our outer body is being destroyed every day. Our inner person, our inner body, is being renewed day by day for these light and momentary afflictions, our rocks and pebbles, right? Is producing in us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. It's preparing us for our future. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. 
For what is seen is temporal, and what is unseen is eternal. You know, having an unshakable faith helps you to focus on God and his abilities, not what is going on around you. And faith, I believe, is an unseen personal quality. It is what I believe and who I put my trust in. But it works quietly, producing a byproduct of benefits for all of my relationships, whether it's people or God or myself. These are, are my relationships. And having faith helps us love like God loves. It helps us to react in ways that are pleasing to God. And having faith brings peace and not mayhem. And faith builds us up and directs us heavenward. You know, others can see the difference in you and the change in you when you have a strong faith. They're drawn to it because of the changes, the works that faith does in you. They're drawn to someone who has spiritual maturity and a prevailing faith and who's actually gone through a transformation because, wow, you're different. Tell me about that. Why is it that you can go through some of the hardest stuff I've ever seen somebody go through and you still have a smile on your face? Or you didn't cave in. You didn't give up. Those are the things that people watch you for. It says that faith without works is dead. If you have a strong prevailing faith, it's going to show on the outside in all of your relationships. And everyone is very aware of the fact you either have it or you don't have it. The works we do will stay behind. That man who pushed against that rock, nobody's going to remember that. He will, but nobody else will. But the fact that he did a job for God that was bigger than he was, better than he was, stronger than he was. People are going to remember that. And regardless if people don't, God remembers. And it's God who we're trying to impress, not people. The faith that resides in your heart and your mind and your soul will live on forever in heaven. And it's all that you possess. Your faith is something you possess. It's what you believe about God. It's your loyalty, your resilience, the truth that you hold, the trust that you put into God, your reliance on him, your stick-to-itiveness. So the question is, what do you really believe about God? Who do you think he is? Who do you think he thinks you are? These are the things that build your faith. So I pray that when you have that dark night of the soul <clears throat> and you're struggling in your faith and you're wrestling, that you will quickly take hold of God. Don't let him go until you get your blessing, until you get your answer. Fight the good fight of faith and let him reshape rename and reclaim so that you can remember that only with God can you be 
and overcomer. So remember, too, that when God pushes on a rock, it's going to move. So I hope that that blessed you. It blessed me. And, you know, sometimes I always think, God, if, you need, if only one person gets this, I've, I've honored you. I've glorified you. And so if that person is only me, I've done it. Okay? Faith, my love. What if he renamed you? Diablo. Diablo? Hmm. Would God, a good God, name you the devil? No. Right on, Faith. You knew that. She was kidding me. That's, that's exciting because you know what? Faith that I know about God is whenever you have a question like that or any other question, he's going to answer it for you. But he'll always answer it out of his goodness and his love for you. It's always going to be something that builds you up and not tear you down. Okay? I just love you. She's just a doll. Just a doll. Any other questions? Any other suggestions? Um, how about anybody have something on their mind that they'd like to share? A recipe they would like to give to me. <laughs> um, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, Jerry had to run off, but I'm going to pray over you, and I invite you for coffee and donuts. Please, please take a donut. Take two. Take three. Whatever. <laughs> And uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Uh, as I look out over these beautiful souls, Lord, that's what you see. Just beauty. Beauty and mine. These are your children. These are your people. And you are our God. And I just thank you, Lord, that you bring us through the, the toughest, darkest night of our faith. And we become overcomers because we hold on to you. And we allow you to do the work that you need to do in us so that we can get close to you. We can spend eternity with you. We can draw close to you. We can trust you more, love you more. And uh, Lord, certainly it will, it will affect positively all of our relationships. And so, Lord, we surrender to you. We don't have anything but ourselves. And so that's what we surrender. We surrender ourselves to you and your care. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and true. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.